It is Sunday, December 24th, 2023. This is Christmas Eve, and you are at Calvary Monument Bible Church. Some in the building, some online watching, and it's sometimes good to remind ourselves of the obvious things in our lives, and just to try for a moment to sit back, to breathe, to reflect, and to think about all that God has done to get us to this place today, this year. Isn't he tremendous? Amen? We serve a tremendous, tremendous God. We have a memory verse for this month, and it's not that. Um, Let's see if we can get it on here. My clicker. There, oh, there. Now we're going. Oh, now I'm going the opposite way. There we go. We have been reflecting on it silently the last few weeks together. Today, we are going to say it out loud together. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke 2, 11. And we will be uh, reveling in the celebration of that birth over the course of the next number of days. I was talking with uh, some of you this morning, asking a question about grandchildren and children, because I've been reflecting lately on something my father said to me a number of months back about how one of the children in our home remind him so much of me. And you know, I thought, it's very interesting. God has quite the sense of humor. You see, we put our parents through so much when we're children growing up. Then God says, here you go. (laughs) Now you get to experience a taste of your own medicine. And I wonder today as we sit here and reflect, which child, which grandchild in your life, or maybe which niece or nephew reminds you most of a brother or sister, one of your own children perhaps, Um, isn't it interesting how our children carry qualities and characteristics that are very similar um, to ones that we love? And you know, God, in a very similar manner, sent a son into the world who resembles his character and his nature because he is God. And God is love, and the son he sent into the world is also the child of love. It's a wonderful thing. This Advent season, we have stepped into the narrative of Judah's history at a time when Judah finds itself in great trouble and turmoil. Young King Ahaz is on the throne. He is facing threats from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west. There's nations all around him that are scheming together to overthrow his rule and to set up a puppet king in his place. God has ensured Ahaz that it would not come to pass, yet Ahaz has not been paying attention to God in our text. Instead, he's been persuaded by and even perhaps pursued himself the voice and the presence of the Assyrian king. 
And in his failure to pay attention on a significant and marvelous truth, he's led his people towards destruction. There is a powerful message here for us, one that is as powerful and relevant today as it was to Ahaz long ago. Let's not fail to see it, to listen to it, to grow of our awareness of it on this Christmas Eve day. Here it is. We have been and are currently known and loved intentionally and attentively by the God of all creation. The same God who was available to King Ahaz and the people of Judah, that same God, friends, loves us, knows us, sees us, and cares deeply about us. Our Lord reigns enthroned high above and here with. He's turned his face towards us and he's made known to us the endless riches of his never-ending kingdom. He has promised and he's delivered the ideal king. Our true deliverer has come. We sang of him today. Emmanuel, light of the world, light of our lives, God with us. Ahaz was not paying attention to the glory, to the power, and to the authority of the one who had loved and chosen him to rule over his people. And because of this, hope eluded Ahaz and his people. He pursued peace on his own merit hoping to earn a seat with the noble and the notable of his day. And in his pursuits, his joy would be robbed, drowned by the very people that he was looking to for protection. Friends, when we fail to recognize the great glory of the one who has loved us and demonstrated his love by giving to us a son, we're likely to miss out on the other gifts that he's made readily available to us as well. Gifts like hope, peace, joy, and today, love. Failing to recognize the great love with which he had been loved, King Ahaz would turn to other faces, other voices, other places for hope, for peace, and for joy. And friends, a lesson for us today who and or what we turn to in times of trouble and distress can either lead us into darkness and despair, even death, or it can guide us through our tumult toward light and life. Our goal today, then, in our text, as we finish this portion of Isaiah's prophecy, is to first identify and dispel the things that lead to darkness and death. Then to, as a congregation together, rehearse, remember, and reflect on the very one who is our light and our life. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 8. We finish this section of the prophecy today, starting in verse 19 of chapter 8, and moving through chapter 9, verse 7. We'll split the text in two halves today, and take each half one at a time. Isaiah 8:19 through 9:7. Before we read, 
Let's pray. Father, there is so much going on even right now in these moments that we are very unaware of. Even in our own lives, right here where you've situated us in community with other followers of Jesus, there's so much happening. Give us eyes to see, Lord, and hearts to be thankful. For you are a God who has not abandoned us or left us. You've sent your son. And today, he's alive. And that has great meaning for us. Lord, this season will come with many opportunities to talk about the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love that we have in Jesus. Help us to be aware enough to take advantage of those opportunities. To know within our own lives, within our own hearts, how much we've been transformed by the powerful work of Jesus, that it would spill out over into conversations around dinner tables, on couches with family and friends, reflecting and thinking and rehearsing about all the ways in which you've worked in our lives over the last year to bring us just to this place, the place that we are now. Whereas the body of Christ, we get to gather around your word and you feed us. And it sustains us. And it nourishes us. And it carries us. We thank you for the goodness of your word, for its truth and its power. As we accompany the text today, we thank you for your presence with us in it. Change us in this time. Make us more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 19, we'll read through verse 22. And when they say to you, inquire of mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire on the dead, of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching... And to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will become enraged. And they will speak contemptuously against their king and against their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. 
The context of these verses in 19 through 22 goes back to the verses in 12 to 15 where God is laying out how his people should be formed and look differently than those who do not claim to be his people. Verses 12 to 15, don't act like these nations or peoples who fear man, who chase conspiracies, who reject the authority and worship of God. Verses 16 to 18, then serve as the prophet's response. Tie up the scrolls. Seal them as official instructions. Deliver them to God's followers. Then wait patiently for his deliverance, even when it feels though he has hidden his face. Wait patiently. Here then in verses 19 to 22, again, the voice of the nations is rising as we wait patiently for the Lord's deliverance. Perhaps our patience begins to wane. Has your patience ever waned before? Mine does. Regularly. And oh, to think that we have a God who loves all of his children and who is never impatient with us. And we can come to him with whatever is burdening our hearts. And he always says, here I am. Come. Not like me. Sometimes I say, go outside. (laughs) Not God. Hmm. When situations arise in our lives that become uncomfortable and hard and unsettling, our patience can begin to fade. And it's there, right there, where the tempting whispers or the trumpeting screams of those who don't know God become to weigh heavily on our hearts and our minds. Lacking faith in our steadfast and immovable God, the one whose patience never wanes, perhaps we're intrigued by other voices. Perhaps Ahaz or the people of Judah would be intrigued by these other voices. Go seek the oracles. Go into the depths, it says in the Hebrew. Go into the depths and conjure up the spirits from the underworld. Search for the magicians with all the right incantations. Find the right news outlet or podcast or media personality, celebrity, or self-improvement guru. Who or what is going to hold us together when things in our lives begin to unravel? To whom are we going to turn? Which voice is going to get the priority there? You see, Judah's temptation is still a real temptation today. When it feels as though God is silent, as though he's hidden his face, maybe even as though we feel sometimes like he's not present, to whom or to what will we turn Verse 20, 
Recall the Lord's instructions and the prophetic testimony of what would happen. Certainly they say such things because their minds are spiritually darkened. Friends, the light that we need when life feels dark, when it feels empty, when our patience begins to wane or fade is the light of the scriptures. Rather than searching for, listening, or turning to voices of those who are without God, far better to seek the kingdom, to listen for his still small voice, and turn to the way, to the truth, to the life, as he is presented, as it is presented in God's word. Now, I get it. This sounds too simple. This is Christmas Eve, Pastor Chris, and you're telling me to read my Bible more. Boring. But I imagine in this room and online, there are so many of our senior saints seasoned in life that would stand and testify today on the solid, immovable rock that God's word has been in their life through the most difficult of trials and circumstances. And what I want us to hear today is so much more than just instructions on reading our Bibles more. If that's all we hear, sure, that can't hurt us. Open it up and read it. It's not going to hurt, I promise. But friends, reading the Bible is about so much more, so much more than just reading the Bible. The scriptures define these feelings that we have, feelings that the people of Judah were having, feelings that King Ahaz was having, feelings that Isaiah was having, sometimes feelings like loneliness and doubt and despair and fear, even some of us, anger. The Bible describes them like a hunger within us. And over and over again throughout the Bible, its authors, even Jesus himself in the New Testament, talk about the words of God as the bread of life that are able to satisfy and sustain. You see, it's not just about reading our Bibles more, friends. We could read our Bibles every day for hours a day, and still walk away feeling empty, lonely, desperate, scared, even angry. And if you don't believe that, I, I would invite you to go back to the New Testament and talk to the Pharisees. Talk to the Sadducees. Talk to the scribes, the religious zealots. Oh, they knew their Bibles forward and back. But they did not know their Bibles. While we are reading and studying and interpreting God's word, are we allowing God's word to read, to study, and interpret us? You see, friends, this isn't a solo endeavor. 
opening the scriptures in the morning is something that we do with God. And God cares enough to investigate us when we read through his word. The writer of Hebrews describes the scriptures as a two-edged sword. If we're reading the Bible correctly, then as we digest its contents, Holy Spirit is using it to diagnose, to form, to shape our own hearts, our own minds, our own lives in the ways and the words of Jesus. Friends, if our reading, if our habit of scripture reading isn't leading us towards attitudes of confession and repentance, if the scriptures aren't forming us in the postures of Christ as defined in the Gospels and summarized in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, postures of humility and sacrifice, perhaps we need to reform, reframe, or even change our reading habits and patterns. If we're walking away from our time in God's Word and we're still feeling empty, hungry, dissatisfied, we're likely to turn to other outlets to fill up our minds and our hearts. And friends, those outlets will prove to leave us more anxious, more worried, more fearful, often feeling desperate and angry. We think that we are consuming it, but really it is consuming us. And it's leaving us hangry. Have you heard that term before? When you're really, really hungry and you're just angry about it? We're being consumed and we're hangry with God and one another. Look at how it's described in verse 21. These people that are seeking out these other voices, the necromancers and the magicians and all these things, they will pass through the land of destitute and starving. Their hunger will make them angry and they will curse their king and their God as they look upward. Actually, there are ways that trap and ensnare us, that push us away from seeking the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Watch this next verse in verse 22, and let's ask ourselves, how, do, how does everything that we consume or that consumes us leave us feeling? We talked in previous weeks about the inventory of voices that are in our heads, taking inventory. Are those voices leaving us feeling full of life and love? Or, verse 22, when one looks out over the land, all he sees is distress and darkness, gloom and anxiety, darkness and people forced from the land. What is the general attitude and conclusion which we form our lives around and allow to guide and shape the tone of our conversations? Are we left hopeless, desperate? The opportunities are going to be there this holiday season to get into one of those conversations. I promise you, someone will be ready to jump into a conversation with you about the hopelessness of this world that we live in. How crazy and desperate it is. Right. 
if that's the message that we leave that conversation with, how will the not yet believing world ever hear, see, and receive the good news, the good news, the good news that we've been called to live and to share? See, friends, consuming the bread of God's word, even in seasons when we don't feel as though it is working or effective, keeps us tied and tethered to the good news that we so desperately need and that the not yet believing world needs. It is Christmas. Christ has come. We sang about his birthday today. This is good news for eternity that never runs out, that we can celebrate all the time. And any conversation that we're in that feels so hopeless and desperate, we can always shine the light of Christ into. Always. So let's rehearse that good news. Let's refresh our minds today. There is a God Let's start there. There is a God. He is real and true. He is the creator of all things, of all life. And because of his great love, he allowed his creation the freedom to choose that which was other than the good and life-giving ways that he had made abundantly available to them. Instead of choosing faithfulness, we chose faithlessness. And as a result, sin and death entered God's good and gracious creation and ransacked and infected everything within it. Today, today, as we sit here right now, sin and death remain the greatest problems facing the world we live in. And God saw, and God knew, and God loved us anyway. He loved us even as we lived in opposition to his ways, positioned as his enemies. And God demonstrated his great love by remaining faithful and sending the most precious gift that he could ever give into a cold and dark and broken world. Because of God's great love, he sent Jesus. Jesus was our only and greatest hope. We couldn't set ourselves free from sin and death. We needed a great substitute. Jesus answered the call. Living a life free from sin, he became the perfect one-time sacrifice that could defeat the power of sin and death once and for all. Fueled by his desire to glorify his Father, he restored and reconciled and renewed and is restoring and reconciling and renewing God's creation Jesus laid down and gave away his life as the substitutionary atoning sacrifice needed to pay the ransom for those who were held in bondage by sin and death. This is good news, friends. God's justice demanded that sin and death be held to account. God's wrath needed to be satisfied. Jesus, by his death, paid the ransom. Sin and death's accounts were closed covered in full. Jesus, in his death, atoned for our sins. God's wrath is satisfied. Jesus proclaimed, it is finished. Amen?
those who confess with their mouths, listen to this, those who confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead are saved and named among those whose names are found in the book of life. And together, 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 we exist as the church, the bride of Christ. A living and breathing organism who is called together by God, filled and empowered by Holy Spirit, the one who equips us to produce the fruit of God's kingdom in the soil where he has planted us. And in this, followers of Jesus shine and have effect for God's glory even now as we await the return of his second coming when he will set everything right and make all things new. I can't wait for that. Anyone else excited for that? Another coming? Friends, rehearsing these things, it restores our hope. Every time I hear this message, it excites me. It renews our peace. It reinvigorates our joy. It reminds us of the great and marvelous ways in which we've been loved and invited to participate in that love. God doesn't hold us off on the sidelines. He calls us out onto the field. The God who has done and is doing all of this has loved us beyond our ability to imagine or understand. And in his love, not only did he send Jesus who left Holy Spirit to help his church, but he also makes available to us the satisfying riches of his word in the scriptures. And friends, it is the scriptures that he uses to help us grow in the awareness of his love. God's own words to his people, words about himself and words himself and words about ourselves words that guide and instruct us about how we're to relate to him relate to one another and relate to the broader world around us and as we grow in our awareness of God's love and live out of its abundance good things take place in our communities what if friends what if as followers of Jesus, we were united in satisfying and sustaining our hunger by the bread of God's word alone? To take inventory of the other voices, the voices of death, the voices of despair, the voices of darkness, and set them aside and embrace the voice of truth. How much healthier would our congregations look? How about our personal relationships? How much more effectively might we be able to share and shine the light of Jesus with those who don't yet know him if our conversations with people that do not yet know Jesus end with great hope and great rejoicing because of the life that we've been given in Christ Jesus? How can we walk away from those conversations with feelings of desperation and despair? King Ahaz... People of Judah, people of God, turn off the voices that are leading to despair, to death, and to darkness, and turn instead to the voice of hope, the voice of light, the voice of life. 
Listen and pay attention. Watch and wait for him to speak about how he intends to dispel the gloom and anxiety of his people because he did it and he's going to do it again. How would the Lord prepare and prevail in enthroning his ideal king? The one who would shine and make life available to any and all who would believe and follow. The one who would rule and reign for eternity. That's the next eight verses. Let's read them. And as we read the next eight verses, Isaiah 8.23 to 9.7, I want you to listen for all of the ways in which God has demonstrated his great love towards his people. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Here's the verse we know. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Israel and Judah are facing a true humbling. The words used in voice one, or the words that are used in voice in verse one are contempt. Contempt is coming against these locations. One day, however, honor would come to these regions. Ironically, this is the region of Galilee. This direct prophecy is aimed at the very area where Jesus would begin his earthly ministry. We see this in Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. The Assyrians would devastate these lands, and for many years, while they existed in captivity, they would be defined as darkened. The people living in these lands defined as full of gloom. They were hopeless. And if we are observant as we read these words, we hear echoes from the creation account ringing. Deep darkness is soon going to meet what? Bright light. 
Genesis 1, 2, and 3. In verses 3 and 4, then, the result of that shining light would be national growth, abundant joy, freedom from oppression, both spiritual and physical oppression. In verse 5, wars are going to cease. Victory is going to be secured by the power and effectual working of this great light that's coming into the world. The prophecy thus far is leading us to the following questions. How? Where and from whom will this glorious light come into the world? And it's interesting, again, here's where we lose something in the Hebrew. There's an emphatic stamp on the answer to that question. And if you think about the previous messages that have led up to this one, in Isaiah's prophetic ministry to Ahaz and to the people of Judah, who has played a significant role in this prophecy? Children, right? Nearly every week, we've talked about the children. First, there was Shear Jeshub, whose name meant a remnant shall return. That was the first son of promise. Then, let's say it together. No, I'm just kidding. There was Maher Shalal Hashbaz, whose name meant quick to the spoil, speed to the plunder. The second child of promise. And now third. This one, however, this son, is impressively and miraculously different than Isaiah's other sons of promise. Verse 6 again. For a child has been born to us. The hint in that first part of the verse is to the human nature of the child. And then the second line of verse 6, a son has been given, a hint to the divine nature of the child. Not a child created by man, instead a child given by God. This child was going to bear the yoke of the people, breaking them free. He would have many names, but there are four specific ones that are mentioned here. Each name has two anchors. One anchor in the human, another anchor in the divine. Each name representing the full humanity and divinity of Jesus. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Prince of Peace. His counsel would be transcendent, his might unrivaled, his reign eternal, his peace unbreakable. Friends, God's solution, God's plan. God's answer to the greatest problems facing humanity today, sin and death, was given in love in accordance with his divine and perfect plan. And Jesus was going to be so incredibly different than the kings of this world. And the first 
people that were receiving this word, the first people that were reading this, think about it, these were people that were in captivity. Kings had been ruling and had been using their power, advancing their power through the ways of war, dominance, oppression. That's how those kings grew their nations, by warring against other people. This king was going to be different. This king's kingdom would advance and grow in the ways of peace. He would bring sin and death into submission, eventually defeating them forever through righteousness and justice. His kingdom would grow as he called unto himself a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen people to be formed in his image, producing his fruits, living and sharing and shining the good news of the availability of his salvation to all who would believe. Friends, if you're here today, if you're watching online, and you do not yet know this salvation... It is available to you today in Jesus. Don't miss it. It's for you. And it's good news forever. Verse 7, his dominion will be vast. He will bring immeasurable prosperity. He will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom, establishing it and strengthening it by promoting justice and fairness from this time forward and forevermore. I love how one biblical theologian put it so beautiful. He says this, quote, Look at Jesus as the wonderful counselor. He has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. As the everlasting father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. Oh, as the prince of peace, he reconciles us while we are still his enemies. Let's welcome his dominion. End quote. Isn't that marvelous? Look at Jesus. All of those names, all of that power, all of that grace, all of that goodness, all for us, for all eternity. Wow. And you can't miss the last line today. God doesn't do this reluctantly. I messed up again. I gotta go down there and save him. He's not like Moses. You stiff-necked people. He's not stubborn, angry. He is eager. That's what that word zeal means. God is eager 
to demonstrate his goodness and his faithfulness and his love to his people. Do you feel that today? Sense that? Know that? All three are important to know, to sense, and to feel. That in the sending of his son, God has demonstrated that he is eager to love you. The God of all creation. The God of all creation. Eager to love you. Eager to love me. Always fulfilling his promises. Because he is faithful, loving, merciful, and just. And friends, this is our good news. Amen? Amen. Our light and our life is Jesus. I would invite you today to receive his love. He will not force his ways of love on anyone. Instead, he reveals himself through Jesus and his word that there is a better way available to us and he invites us to walk in that way, the way of life. Receive his love today. Our team's going to come. Let's pray. Lord, if there are any today who are in our building or listening online that do not yet know you, Perhaps they're feeling a sense of dread and despair and hopelessness that's been with them throughout their lives and they've never quite known how to reconcile that, Father. Might they realize and see, might you open their eyes for them and their heart for them to know today that there is only one person who's available to them to reconcile those things. And that is your son, Jesus. And Lord, if by the power of your Spirit at work within them, you might be able to produce the confession that Jesus is Lord and the belief that comes behind it that you have raised him from the dead, then Lord, we know that salvation comes. So, Lord, if there are any today here listening who have not yet believed on your son, Jesus, maybe they'd just pray this short prayer. Father, I confess that my ways have not worked. I have rebelled against you. Sin and death have ruled my life and my decisions. And today, I can see Jesus clearly. I can see my need for him clearly. I confess him as Lord, and I turn from the ways of the world in which I live to him. I want to follow Jesus. Lord, I believe that by your supernatural work within him that you raised him from the dead. 
and that resurrected life is available to me as well. Thank you for making this known to me, for revealing this to me today. And Lord, I pray that you would place people in my life around me to help me grow in my church community, in my family, in my neighborhood, mentors, others who love you. Help me reflect the beauty of Jesus in my world, in the world you've placed me in. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.